Well, good morning. It's uh, good to be here. I'm excited about what I'm going to share this morning. I, last week, wanted to um, find out uh, how many kids were at the back and who were the noisy ones. Um, and uh, so I went to the back and I was, I was fascinated to see the difference in um, the way people worship. So, standing in the front and then going to the back, I mean, a lot of folk do vacate the back to come to the front, but there was a distinct difference. And I, I just wanted to share this morning a little bit about why we do stuff the way we do in Josh Chen. Every church needs to have a purpose. If you don't have a purpose in a congregation, you're going to get a little unstuck. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10 and 11, each one should be careful how he builds, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Christ Jesus. So everything that we do, we believe, is based on the Word of God. So the church needs to have a purpose. It's not so much of what we do. It's not so much of how we do it. It is why we do it. And that's what I want to explain to you today. Uh, uh, um, Win he was a church consultant. And a number of years ago, he conducted a, a study and he interviewed leaders and members of over a thousand churches. And he discovered, and he, he discovered a great discrepancy. And he, he asked the question, why does our church exist? And he found after the responses of members that 89% of the members said the church exists so that the church can take care of my family's needs and my needs. Only 11% of the members said, why we exist is to go out into the world and to win the world for Christ. Then he asked the leaders the same question. 90% of them said, our job is to go out into the world and to make disciples and to win the world for Christ. 10% said, well, to take care of those who have committed so that not too many leave. So th there's this discrepancy. Almost 90% of members have a totally different point of view to 90% of the leaders. And when you have this discrepancy, let me tell you, disunity, tension, conflict is always going to be the rule of the day in a situation like that. So if I could say to you very clearly, what is the purpose of our church? I would take the great commandment and the great commission. The great commandment is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love others as you love yourself. That's the great commandment. Those two aspects. Loving God, loving others. The great commission is, I am to go out into the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, 
and teaching them to observe all that Christ has commanded us. So, if we are to build a great church, we are needing to commit to the great commandment and the great commission. Commitment to those two will always build a great church. So I'm going to focus a little bit on the first one, and that is worship. Now, I want to just share with you that if you want to stir up more tension in the congregation, talk to them about worship. Everyone has got their own point of view about worship. Change the order of service. Change a hymn. Change a tune. Change why we do what we do. And we, for those folk who are new here this morning, we've spent a lot of time on family this morning. Praying for our teachers. Praying for those that leave uh, this congregation and go to other Josh Jen congregations. A lot of time is put into family. It's still part of the service. But there is no experience in the Christian life that is more powerful and more liberating than worship. Artie Kendall, he uh, was a pastor for many years. He's an old guy now, authored many books. Uh, his most famous book is Total Forgiveness. Great book about forgiveness. If you're struggling with forgiveness, Artie Kendall is the guy to go to. Uh, he was the uh, minister of the Westminster Chapel for over 25 years in London. Uh, he said this, speaking or singing for people, that's a performance. Where it's just the worship. Speaking at people, uh, not giving them a chance to respond or to react or participate. Speaking at people, that's the lack of self-control. Speaking down to people, that is arrogance. Speaking up to people, I think that's the worst type of leadership, that is fear. Speaking to people in the form of encouraging and sharing, that's your calling. I want to speak to you this morning. I want to really encourage us. When we go into a time of worship, just to give ourselves wholeheartedly to God and to His Word. Worship can split a church. We are very demonstrative in our form of worship. And when I came after 24 years of being a Presbyterian, you know, we, we're God's chosen frozen, right? Holy, 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 I'm not going to move my hands. They're going to remain by my side. <laughs> I, I, I really was a bit of a maverick in the Presbyterian church and really encouraged people to follow what the Bible was talking about. But when I moved from Presbyterians, even though I did raise my hands, moved into Josh Chen, it was challenging for me. And I always sat in the back. This is my own testimony and whatever it's worth. So, so I ventured one day to come and stand in the front. And the place in the front was packed with one of the gatherings that we still had at Sunningdale. In the front it was jam-packed. I mean, I was 
Jocelyn and I was like sardines again. And then we started, and the guys on either side of me started bouncing like a pugilist. <sighs> and I'm thinking, okay, this is this is okay, this is good. But you know, on, after the third song was summer, so they started to get all hot and sweaty. Now, I'm sorry. Unfortunately, I've got a rather large nose. This schnozzle in the middle of my face can pick up. <laughs> you know, to every advantage is an equal and opposite disadvantage. I can smell all the good smells, but I can smell the bad smells. And so when there's a guy standing eight inches away from you going, and he hasn't got the deodorant on, it doesn't smell so good. I struggled in that worship session. I really did. So I made a point of not coming forward. I stayed in the back. And one day at a leader's meeting, Andrew, I don't know what, he said, Rich, I would really love for you to come forward. I think, why is he picking on me? So I went to him and I said, you know, Andrew, the reason why I've got an incredibly heightened sense of smell. And, I mean, there's some guys that don't put deodorant on. And they've got old t-shirts that they, if they took them off, the t-shirt themselves would walk out the door. This is just, just come. So, that's, that next service that I went to, I went straight up to him. I said, I'm here in the front with you. He looks at me. He says, he says, thank goodness I put deodorant on the song. <laughs> we had a worship time this past week. And I said, what do you expect, guys, in the worship team? What do you expect from worship? And one of the young guys said, I would love to see everybody dance. I mean, what, what is dancing? Going crazy? Or is... For an old top. A few years ago, I, I, I can't even remember which wedding it was. We were at a wedding and I said, to me, do you want to dance? No, you just, let's go and dance. She loves to dance. I don't. So, part of my, is to oblige my wife. So we dance here on the floor. And you know, with young people, they film everything, eh? So the person said, I filmed you. I said, it'll be great. You know? Send it to me. Listen. It was not pretty. It was not pretty. I was I was doing stuff on that video that I didn't know that I was doing when I was dancing on the floor. You know, at one time, I thought I was good looking. No, no, I'm not. <laughs> I thought at one time I was coordinated. <laughs> when watching that video, <laughs> I, I am coordinated. <laughs> Awful. Awful. But worship, worship means participating physically as well. I am to love God with all my heart, all my soul, my mind, and my 
as well. The ancient church had a dance. And listen, they completely had a different set of music altogether. They had a, a dance called the Tripedium. And this is recorded in history. So the, the ancient church danced. And the Tripedium is three steps forward and one step back. I think that's a fantastic description of our Christian life. We, we, we're making progress. We're going forward. But you know, we have setbacks. We do struggle with temptation and sin. And so, we go back, but we're going forward. Three steps forward. One step back. Three steps forward. And so the ancient church did, in actual fact, dance as well. All through history, people have struggled with adjustments. You know, the piano was only introduced in the 1700s. The, the, the New Testament church didn't have a piano, didn't have guitars, they had harps and other stringed instruments. But, you know, I'm going to read to you, and I want you to tell me who said this. There are several reasons for opposing this new style of worship. One, it's too new. Two, it's so often worldly, even blasphemous. The new Christian music is not as pleasant as the more established style. Because there are so many new songs, you can't learn them all. It puts too much emphasis on the instrumental music rather than on godly lyrics. This new music creates disturbances, making people act indecently and disorderly. The preceding generation got away with it, got along with it, without all this stuff. It's a money-making scene, and some of these new music upstarts are lured and loose. Who said that? Who said that? It was a pastor who was criticizing Isaac Watts. He's the father of American hymnody, and it took place in 1723. We could have just taken it out of our books here. Wouldn't you say, let's go back to our biblical roots? Well, what are our biblical roots? They're a Gregorian chant, Jewish melodies. I mean, if Andrew, you've all watched, for those that have just been a part of come for the last little while. Uh, I mean, Andrew said, uh, dance like that. Andrew really disliked that dancing quite a lot. Throughout church history, Martin Luther put the words, a mighty fortress is our God that was borrowed from a popular song in his day. Charles Wesley, brother of John Wesley, he was a great, great musician. Borrowed several popular tunes from taverns and opera houses in England. John Calvin hired two secular songwriters of his day to put it, put music to his theology. The Queen of England was so incensed by these vulgar tunes that she derivatively referred them as Calvin's Geneva 
jigs. You're always going to have opposition. But let me just explain some whys of why we worship. So the first one is when we come to worship, I think it needs to be an overflow. Psalm 23 and verse 5 says, Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul tells us, Do not get drunk with wine, which will only ruin you. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. You see, coming and experiencing God in worship is, should be an overflow. The problem is that we come to church and we, we, we're, we're either empty or half full. And so we come and we worship and we, we, we're about to overflow. We're just filled with the adoration of God. We're there. We, we love you, God. And, and, and the music stops. But we, we've only come half full and we're slowly filling up, filling up, filling up. But I think that I want to suggest that we come. We come prepared. We come filled so that when we start worship, we can start to overflow. I've been at elders' meetings and whoever's leading, whether it's Mervis or Rion or whatever, one of the guys, and the first strum, I mean the guys come forward, the first strum of that guitar, the, the, the elders who obviously have spent time in the Word and, and prepared their hearts that as soon as the music starts, boom, they're there and they're ready to overflow in worship and in adoration. Romans chapter 6 and verse 13, give yourselves to God, surrender your whole being to Him to be used for His righteous purposes. The worship surrender is a very unpopular word today because it's all about victory. We, we, we conjure up these unpleasant images of admitting defeat, yielding to a stronger opponent. It has a negative con uh, context. It's like a captured animal surrendering to authorities. But we live in a competitive culture and we never give up. We never give in. And so surrender is not good. But in, in the Bible it tells us to surrender. To surrender, yielding, submitting, obeying. Surrender is at the heart of worship. Look at what Romans chapter 12 verse 1 says. So then, my friends, because of God's great mercy to us, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice to God, dedicated to His his service and pleasing to him. This is the true worship that you should offer. It starts off with offer and that verse ends with offer as well. That's what worship is about. Whatever you want to call it, consecration, making Jesus Lord of your life, taking up the cross, dying to self, yielding to the Spirit, it is offering yourself all that you are to him. To him. Worship. Worship. You are worthy. You are worthy. It's thinking magnificently about God. It's nourishment to your mind. It's the quickening of your conscience. When you consider his holiness, it's the cleansing of the imagination regarding his beauty. It's the enlargement 
of your heart because of his love. Worship is the noblest, noblest act that you are capable of. One person defined worship as I come toward to kiss. Come towards God to kiss. It's that moment of intimacy. It's that moment where we just sense the closeness of God. It is the essence of adoration. David in Psalm 42 said, As the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? In Psalm 63 and verse 1, O God, thou art my God, I shall seek thee earnestly. My soul thirsts for thee. My flesh yearns for thee in a dry and weary land where there is no water. It's a yearning for God. It's a longing for him, for his touch, for his presence. He's an awesome God. And the interesting thing is he wants to have a relationship with us. He wants to have a with us and a communication with us. Let me tell you a story about a young hippie who was sitting on a park bench. He was reading the Bible. And as he read a certain part of the Bible, a very distinguished older man walked past. And he said, Hallelujah! Praise the Lord! What a miracle! And the old man stopped and said, What are you talking about? Why are you so excited? He said, I've just read about God parting the Red Sea and the whole nation of Israel walked over on dry ground. The old man sniggered and he said, don't you know that wasn't the real sea at all? That was just a few inches of water. And he continued to walk on. And he was just a little bit further down the road when this hippie that was continuing to sit there cried out again. He said, Hallelujah! And praise the Lord! So the old man came back and he said, And what now? He got a little angry. He says, What's the matter with you? Why are you shouting? He says, Well, sir, I just read about how God drowned the whole Egyptian army in just a few inches of water. <laughs> Don't let anybody keep you from praising God. Don't let anybody, regardless of circumstances, deny you from the joy of praise. Psalm 71 and verse 14 says, I will praise thee yet more and more. I mean, what David is saying is, I'm going to praise you. I'm going to praise you more than I did praise you yesterday. I'm going to praise you more today. And that's the heart of why we do things. Why do we raise our hands? Well, because the Bible tells us to. The explicit um, biblical precedent is there. So I will bless, in Psalm 63, I will bless as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. Every day, in Psalm 88 and verse 9, I call upon the Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Psalm 119, I will lift up my hands towards your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on the statues. 
Psalm 134, lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. We lift them up because it describes our dependence. It it exudes our dependence on Him. Yes, Lord, I, I, I lift up my hands to show that I'm in a form of surrender to you. I'm making myself vulnerable. I lift up my hands because I need you. I, I, I need you to pull me up to the place where you want me to be. I'm dependent on your strength and your ability. And you see, one of the things that worship is, it's also a form of warfare. You remember when um, the Israelites were fighting against the uh, Amalekites and they were down in the valley and Moses, now becoming an old man, uh, stood on top of the mountain and God said to them, Moses, keep your hands raised and when your hands are raised, we will beat you. The Malachites. So Moses stood there and he got tired. I mean, having your hands raised can be a tiring thing for 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 an older. And he dropped his hands, and the battle turned, and the Malachites started to win. So Aaron and her two guys who were with Moses grabbed either hand and held their hands up. It's a wonderful uh, example of support for, uh, for, for, for the leader but but really you know hands raised there's a spiritual warfare that is going on we see in Isaiah 30 um, 30 31 I think it is uh, 30 31 and 32 this is what it says every stroke of the staff of punishment which the Lord lays upon your enemy will be at the sound of tambourines and drums every God, God is going to strike the enemy at the sound of the tambourines and the drums, at the sound of the musical instruments. God is going to actually strike the enemy. Whenever I hear the cymbal, whenever I hear the musical instrument, whenever I hear the drum, I'm going to strike the enemy. God, who is mighty, will do these mighty things. You know, it's, it's, he's going to shatter the Assyrians with the sound of music. I've been fascinated with the story of Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Um, He was the king of Judah. The two other tribes had broken away, and he was the king of Judah, and three massive armies came up against Judah, Jerusalem. And he had this confrontation. I mean, it's, it's a fascinating statement when he says, I, I don't know what to do. Lord, I don't know what to do, but I look to you. But the way he got around that, and some of his advisors and the uh, guys gave prophetic words, and they said, instead of sending out your own army to confront these guys, you send out your singers and your worshippers. Huh? I mean, can you imagine three massive armies out there and he's sending out the singers who have got musical instruments in their hand. I mean, and it routed the army. They were absolutely befuddled. They couldn't understand. They didn't come with their bows. They didn't come with their bows and arrows cocked, ready to fight. They came with musical instruments. And the armies were so rattled by this that they started fighting amongst themselves and they were defeated. You know, worship is warfare. Warfare. When we see 
what happened with the Israelites when they came to Jericho. And here these enormous walls of Jericho were, were confronting them. This, this was the stronghold in this area. And God told them what to do. You walk around it for uh, seven days. And then on the seventh day, when I tell you, you scream, you shout, you blow your trumpets, you make uh, as much noise as possible, and the walls came crashing down, and God caused an earthquake. But it came as a result of praise. Strongholds being broken came as a result of praise. You know, Psalm 47 and verse 1 says, Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. There was a very staid, conservative Presbyterian church in Scotland. The minister was old and he was staid and he had a lady who just loved the Lord. And while the minister was preaching in his, his accent, she cried out every now and again, Praise the Lord, Amen. And that really rattled this old guy. And, and he just lost his place and had to pause and so eventually, at the beginning of the year, he went to her and said, Listen, Betty, I, I just want to ask that you not cry out, Praise the Lord, Amen. And, you know, if, if you if you could just remain quiet for the year, at the end of next year for Christmas, I'll give you two lovely woolen blankets. And she was poor at the thought of having two lovely wooden woolen blankets was just such a, so she kept quiet. She kept still. He preached his message. And then one day he was away and they had a guest preacher and he was so excited and he was preaching about the forgiveness of sins and the blessing that God gives as a result of the forgiveness of sins and she could not contain herself anymore. And she stood up at one point and said, blankets or no blankets, hallelujah and praise the Lord. Why do we praise God? Why do we worship? It's because there is warfare going on. I'm going to finish up because it's it's going to get a time, go into a time of worship. I'm going to finish up with a statement. I belong to him. I belong to Jesus. Because no barrier can hinder him from pouring out his blessing. He is enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He is the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of the world. He is God's son. He is unique in every way. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the greatest, highest personality in all of history. He is the miracle of the age. He is the superlative of everything good. He supplies strength to the weak. He's available to those who are tempted and tried. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He forgives sinners. He delivers the captives and defends the people. He is the doorway of deliverance. He is the doorway, uh, the roadway of righteousness. He is the gateway of glory. He is the master of the mighty. He is the chief of conquerors. He is the head of heroes. He is the governor of governors, the prince of princes, the king of kings and lord of lords. He is the alpha and omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is the first and the last. There is no other God before him. There is no other God after him. He is the first. He is the last. He is preeminent. There is no one like him in all of history. His name is Jesus and he is our victor.